Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey guys, welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, aka that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's many, many times platinum chart-topping Grammy-nominated DJs don't just have matching hair, but matching DNA, too. These brothers are sound-designing producers that have redefined traditional instruments, famously using samples like wood chops for snare drums. All the way from Huntington Beach, California, this duo has taken the world by storm, collaborating with the biggest names in dance music, thusly bridging the gap between EDM and popular music, which kind of explains their name as well. And the writer's is are somewhere in the middle of black and white. Michael and Kyle Trawartha, aka Gray. Wow. That was awesome. You killed it. You even got the name. Perfect. <laughs> uh, I was panicking there. Yeah. <laughs> I was panicking in my sweatpants. Um so you guys are are in uh pants. Am I wearing pants? We're we're going no pants. Well, that's the only way to do an interview. On <laughs> I mean, the amount of things that have happened on Zoom, I, I imagine that there are some weird stories that will come out when when they do the uh, thirty for thirty about or it's whatever the documentary is about this era. There are going to be some weird stories. Yeah, happen. Canceled like on professional Zoom. work environments and things like that. Have you guys been working a lot on Zoom? Have you been producing a lot of records? We did like. Three sessions? Yeah, three or four sessions. Yeah. How did they go? It was good. I think, did we use two of them? We have like two EPs that we're working on right now, and I think two of the songs came out of Zoom sessions. Yeah, you know John the Blind? Yeah. 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 The, the, our first two sessions, sessions with him were on Zoom, and they were both two for two. Yeah. Both on our EP. Um. Okay, let's let's do this interview. Let's get let's let people get to know you guys a little bit. Let's go. Uh, Kyle, you were born in Australia. Yes, Sydney. Uh, that are your parents Australian then? Uh, my dad is. Yeah, my mom's from LA. And then Michael, you were not born in Australia. No, I was born in Hawaii. You were born in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my parents really like living <laughs> on the beach, so they moved from. Sydney to Honolulu to Huntington Beach. Are they surfers? No, actually. <laughs> I don't know. They just like living next to the water, I think. What do, are they musicians? No. Not. <laughs> Quite the opposite. Yeah, definitely not. Um, my dad used to work for um, Qantas, like the Australian Airlines. Mm-hmm. And my mom's done a bunch of stuff. She used to be a clown. <laughs> she's had like a million jobs but um now they have like a business where they take people to germany and drive porsches and stuff on the autobahn yeah uh those are so all so unusual for i don't want to say weird because they're just more unusual than anything else but was your dad a pilot or is he a pilot no he was like an engineer he like signed off on the planes to make sure they were like good to go 
Yeah. And, and and your your mom was what was her what was her clown name? Uh, Bobo. I think I, it was Bobo. Yeah, right. I, <laughs> dude, I I have like memories of being like young, like maybe like five years old, and she's like holding me, and she's full on wearing clown makeup, and I'm like, so yeah. I'm not scared of clowns for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Did you guys have clowns at all your birthday parties then? I would assume, yeah. 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 She was a clown. And that's probably like graduation <laughs> and things like that. Like, like, oh. <laughs> exactly. Wait, so uh, Kyle, are you an, uh, an American citizen? Yeah, we're both dual. Okay. Citizens between Australia and yeah, US. Do you remember living in Hawaii or did you guys move? You um, know? I was one. <laughs> I remember it. I thought it was weird. I guess at the time I didn't realize it was weird, but to get to our front door, you had to go upstairs. It was like a normal house, except the front door was on the second floor. I was thought that was kind of odd. Just because it was that, it was literally on the beach then. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, we were pretty close. Away, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't remember too much. I was really young. Yeah. Why did your family move to California? Um, I think it had to do with my dad's job, probably, that he was got a job at LAX. Mm. Right. Yeah. What was it they, what kind of music did you guys listen to? And what was it that got you into actually being fans of music? Um, I think like when we were really young, we just listened to whatever our sisters listened to. We have two older sisters and they would play like Destiny's Child and Britney Spears, whatever, that kind of stuff. And then as we started, you know, getting iPod shuffles and like actually having control, (laughs) the USB USB stick, having control over our own music. We, we got really into like, um, prog metal and prog rock and stuff like Dream Theater and um, I don't know, System of a Down. There's a lot of like, I guess they're not like prog, but a lot of prog metal stuff and I don't know, just anything that was like hard, but also melodic, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like the mixture of like, yeah. I think it started- Corn and all the like, yeah, keep going. What were you going to yeah, say? Like, I think it kind of started with... I mean, like, Avenged Sevenfold, a lot of them went to Huntington Beach High School. Like, my sister went to the school with some of them. And I think that Kyle met with the guitarist one time and hung out with them. And I was in the system of a down, and then we started getting more into, like, like, he was getting a lot more into learning guitar, so he was really interested in stuff that was really difficult and, like, stuff that would teach stuff that would teach him how to play guitar better. And, like, like just um, stuff that he could just go in and be like, okay, if I can learn this, then, like, this is just going to make me a better guitar player. So he just kind of ended up gravitating towards things that were just like really complex and technical. Yeah. I think that's the thing. Like that time in my life, the music that I was into, I didn't realize it, but I wasn't into it because I liked it. I was into it because it taught me how to be a better guitar player. And it was like, how can I one up the last thing that I learned how to play? And that's what guided my musical choices. So it became like, more and more technical, like, th- you know, it just got into like math rock and <laughs> things that aren't even like interesting or good to listen to, but I thought it was cool because it was hard to play. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's dream theater for sure. Yeah. Dream <laughs> theater and a bunch of artists like that. Yeah. When did you get a guitar? Um, when I was like 10 years old, my mom put me in like all, all these sports and they would just like take me out if I wasn't good because I, I just sucked at all of them <laughs> and at some point she put me in choir and that was like the first thing where she's like okay finally we found the thing so like she from then on just got me like a piano and a guitar so right around 10 i don't think of you guys as singers or guitarists mm. but that obviously was a part of your youth then for both yeah like i started playing guitar long before i was singing like I I guess I was in choir for a little bit there, but like guitar just became my obsession for a really long time. And it wasn't until I was like in high school that I started singing again, you know. You guys both played drums too, right? Yeah. Yeah, we were both. He, he joined Drumline and then I think I was like just finishing up with getting sick of being in track and football or whatever I was in. So I just joined Drumline with him. Did you play actual kits too? 
Or was it most just for for? No, it was like marching band stuff. So like, you know, bass drum and like snare and that kind of stuff. I imagine that's pretty useful as a producer if you've been around interesting yeah. drum rhythms. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like depending on which bass drum you are, for instance, you sometimes have to play really odd stuff. Like if you're bass number two, you always have to play on off beats. So I think Michael yeah, was bass two. So you're never like playing on the on beat. You're always like, da, 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 da. <laughs> it's just like really uh, trains your rhythmical brain. I think it's good. It's really fun because it's like a lot of splits. So it's just like, yeah. five people just trying to like do a full rhythm together, make it work. It's funny. Yeah. Most producers now, you know, if you look at, at little kids now, they, they don't get guitars. They get, you know, they, they get, yeah, they get able they get a computer with Ableton and then yeah, they can, you know, they, they kind of are born to be producers, but they don't necessarily have the instrumentation to back up, you know, or, or the ability to, to music direct, but you guys having all that musical knowledge, um, did you find that, I assume that, that you agree that you need some sort of training to be a good producer. Is that right or no? Yeah. I mean, whenever people ask me, like, how do I become a good producer? And they're hoping that I say, like, go to Guitar Center and buy this little launch pad thing or something. And I'm like, no, learn how to play an instrument first, for sure. Like, whether it be piano or guitar or flute, I don't care. <laughs> Just learn something because it'll teach you so much more than Ableton will in the you know, in the first place, I think. You guys must have been in some sort of band in high school. If you're playing guitar and you guys can play some sort of drums, did you guys ever play in a... Did you ever want to be in one of those prog rock kind of bands? Yeah, like, you- I had like a, a prog metal band with um, my friends when I was in high school. But I've, really quickly after recording our first stuff, I just became obsessed with that process and started doing it on my own. Yeah. When did you guys start, you know, the idea of writing songs or creating music? So yeah, my, my first songs I ever wrote, I guess were back then. And like, I was probably 15, 16 and writing songs for our, my, like my prog metal band. And it was really bad. (laughs) It was just like really, really bad music. But I was less into the songwriting at that point, to be honest, and more into like, whoa, like you can record stuff. And I don't know, just the, just the whole idea that you can put something into your computer. We were using like Audacity or whatever. And, Wait, what's Audacity? Uh, oh, Audacity is like this free program for, I think it used to be PC only, but it's just the, the worst kind of DAW there is because you can't the, the idea of a plugin isn't a thing if you want to change something you have to just like highlight it I think and and press you know confirm and it will just change the file forever you can't go back <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad but anyways yeah so using Audacity um, and it, I don't know just the idea of recording was what I was obsessed with when I was younger not necessarily like writing yet but using a DAW to record stuff, you know, I mean, I guess I remember using, you know, Reason and whatnot and starting to use some of the, like, whatever, Digital Performer and some of these different DAWs that existed. But um, when, you're, when you're trying to create this stuff, were you already trying to make, you know, make sounds? Were you already trying to... Were you already trying to push a limit or were you trying to sound like they were sounding? Do you know what I mean? Like when you're recording at that point, are you trying to emulate or was it sort of, well, I can't emulate, so I might as well create? Um, I mean, at this point, I was just trying to emulate for sure because all we wanted was our stuff to sound as pro and as full as the bands that we listened to. And we would just sit there forever and be like, how, what angle do I need to turn the mics on the drum to get it to sound that way? And I think we didn't realize how much it's about the post 
stuff because we wouldn't, like I said, we're using like the worst program ever. So we weren't doing any compression or anything like that. We're just like, why doesn't it sound good? And we thought it was just a mic issue or something, but yeah. The funny thing now is when you listen back, those bands you're trying to emulate didn't even sound that good either. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird. Well, it's also like sounds unique. You know, they're all, all, a lot of those bands all sound like, I mean, Mm. I would, a pedestrian listener to that genre, but <laughs> if, I, if you played me some of those bands back to back, I don't know that I could have told them all apart from each other because the instrumentation was often the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just all about like being a virtuoso or something. Now that that kind of stuff really puts me off. I have kind of I have a bad taste in my mouth about music that's only about showing off. So. Yeah, I've kind of come around on that. <laughs> when did you guys, did you guys go to college? Did you guys go straight into making music? I went to two years of college at San Francisco State University. For music? Um, I don't, I mean, yeah, I took some music courses for sure. Um, I don't think I had really... I didn't really care what I was doing in school, to be honest, because my teachers just didn't understand anything. And that's actually why I ended up leaving. We had like a day where we would go in and show our music and everyone played their songs. And I played something I was working on. And the teacher was just like, what are you doing with like, it's all like ducking. Like, what is the ducking thing? you're doing?" And I was like, this guy doesn't know about sidechain. And I just started producing like, I need to leave. I'm not, this isn't for me, you know. You weren't using that old DAW if you were a Oh, no, no. By by that point, I was using either Logic or Ableton. I don't remember. But, um, that, was the first, that was the first time you guys really had been separate in your entire lives. Yeah. Yeah. I went to like a community college for like half a semester and took like graphic design and like business or something. I don't know. And that was like around the time that my parents like moved to Vegas. I didn't want to move to Vegas, so just like got a job at some Olive Garden, Laguna. You worked. You worked at Olive Garden. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Like what? Like as a as a as a waiter? Yeah. Or like so, breadsticks. Yeah, breadsticks. Three breadsticks. Do you think that they had any idea? You know, at the time, were you thinking of yourself as having a? ambitions of being a musician or at that point where you just like this is what you do you get a job that was like right around the time that kyle had been making like electric electronic music for a little while and i've been kind of like like in the process with him like just like helping him out telling him what i think sounds good and what doesn't like i was really into electronic music so he would ask me for my opinion all the time and then around that time was when he said like you should you should make your own project. Like you should do one. And I'll, like, I'll help you out. And like, you should make your own project. And I think it was like 2015 or something. And I was like making some electronic music stuff on my own under a different project name. And what was I, that project name? It was called like Cyrus. It was just you solo. Yeah. Just me solo. And it was just kind of Kyle trying to like push me to learn production and like do stuff on my own. Just to like try to get some kind of success. I don't have to like be working as a server. And he was like doing his own thing in Santa Monica. And then I think like right around that time, like we just started working together on the Gray Project. And then like I was still working at Olive Garden when we sent like an email to Skrillex and all this stuff was that happened. Yeah. Wait, before you get to Skrillex, Kyle, what, yeah. what was your uh, project called before Gray? Um, I had a few different things but the main one that was like probably four years long was called singularity the two did you guys did you have any success with that or was it more just putting out music i mean i played edc a couple times wow um, yeah i was like won their discovery project kind of it was called like discovery project and i won that and went on a few tours like I had some crazy experiences with that because my manager, we did this long, crazy tour, like, you know, probably 40 dates or something like that. And 
got back and my manager stole everyone's money because he managed everyone on the tour, took every cent. We were all just so poor and like really needed the money. And he took it all and dipped. So, Do you know where he is now? Uh, he, <laughs> he has his own project now, actually. I, yeah. I, I shouldn't say, but yeah. How do we get how do we get this money back for you? <laughs> I think in the end it was probably a good thing that I was like, man, I need to like figure out the business end of this and have a manager who's actually got my back and not like a scumbag. So that's an interesting way to learn. I mean, I think learning by error is a, is probably a, a good way to figure things out. Um, but you're on tour, and I, I think when you say I'm on tour for forty nights. That just sounds like a number, but when you're spending the time it takes to get from city to city and you're having to yeah, play those shows and come back to no money must have been pretty demoralizing. Yeah, and it's all in like a van too. It's not luxurious in any way. It's, you know, you're eating Taco Bell every night and whatever. You told me one of those, those shows he got there and literally there was three people and they said like, and they were just like, yo, do you guys want to play Super Smash Bros. in the back? Like, instead of us playing, and they're like, yeah, it's just Yeah, that was probably the worst show I ever played. It was in Colorado Springs. Um, <laughs> and there were actually just three people there, but they didn't come together. They were just separated in this big kind of venue. And I just told them, like, if you guys want, this is kind of awkward. Like, maybe we should just come back and play video games and talk because it's going to be so weird if I play the show right now. <laughs> and they agreed. <laughs> I mean, I, the the amount of shows that people who are just starting to tour uh, that you play for one person equals as many people as you play for 300 people. Yeah, yeah. It just ends up being somebody doesn't promote it. Whatever happens, you show up, you plug in, and there's nobody there. Yeah. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know one artist who doesn't have a little bit of that story. Yeah, it feels bad, man. <laughs> it feels bad, man. Did you have any cities that you were surprised at how many fans you did have? I mean, how are people? They're definitely good shows. Um, But we played with our friend, like my friend's name, Candyland at the time. And I would guess most of the fans were there for them. But either way, I just got experience and it was fun. How were people hearing, you know, either Cyrus or what was it called? Singularity. Or, or singularity. How are people hearing the music from, you know, at that point? Uh, mainly like SoundCloud, Sound- and there's this guy on YouTube. I, he still has a channel. His name's Mr. Suicide Sheep. And back in the day, he just had such a massive audience, and anyone who he put on his YouTube channel would just get millions of plays. So he would always support my music. So I think that helped a lot. Did you? Would you just email him a new? remix and then hope that he would play it or he no one like- knew his email back in the day and no one knows what he looks like he's just a mysterious figure but he would just find things on soundcloud and he liked my music what do you think he looked like i don't know i'm sure i feel like he has black curly hair i've always <laughs> imagined with black curly hair <laughs> <laughs> who knows like yeah yeah um a lot of that time period was like all remix competitions actually like, i feel like all what wait say that louder like all remix competitions like Oh. There's so many. What is the website called? Um, Port, wait, yeah, they're, they just. Beatport. Yeah, yeah. Beatport would do like remix competitions. So I would always enter those and won a few of those. You, you probably have like seven remix competitions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so you go from Olive Garden, you you know, and Kyle, you, you leave San Francisco. Yeah. So, uh, like, yeah, when I moved to L.A. finally um, around whatever, 2013, 2014, I was at the lowest, lowest point in my life. It was like this is after I had all that money stolen from me and I decided to quit that project. And I moved in with this, you know, there was like three of us in a one-bedroom place and it was this really small one bedroom place in Hollywood. And I was like in the kitchen, essentially like my bed, you had to like kind of do dishes over my bed. Essentially. It was like, 
it was a it was a rough time and i was like working at fuddruckers so i was just really determined to like make something work at that point what did your sisters and your parents think as you're you know probably we're in school you dropped out of school you guys are both you know trying to do dj stuff independently what do you think your what were your parents thinking at that time they're probably thinking a very respectable, told you so type feeling, <laughs> like very like, like just worried and like just kind of like you need to do something that's actually going to happen. Like we've been telling you that this isn't going to work your whole life. Yeah. You know, just Did they say that? Were they were they always trying to push against you guys pursuing music as a profession? I think our mom was a little more hopeful and a little bit more supportive than our dad, but. um you can always feel like in the back end of everything they say that they're just still thinking like, okay, like, come on, you need to do something for real now. Like at least do something for real. Yeah. Like you're, I don't know. It was never like a full force, like Billy Eilish's parents, like, Hey, like mm-hmm. you're going to do this and it's going to be great. And we support you until the day we die. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're very results oriented. I would say just like, they'll believe it when they see the check, the paycheck kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, going to the next thing, then you guys end up being, you know, who approaches who and says we should, we should make this into our, you know, one collection of two DJs rather than, you know, who says, let's call it gray. And why did you guys call it gray? Like what actually happened was like Kyle said, he had quit his old project, but he is, he just started a new project. Um, and he like got, um, hit up by Insomniac Records at Interscope and he was going to do a meeting with them about four new songs for this new project. And he was super excited. And then like that came and he had a meeting and it fell through and it was just some weird shit. So he was like, okay, like screw this. But at that time when he was getting that meeting, he was like, yo, we should start a project where like, um, I just like help you with all the production stuff and then just make it a really cool name. And I'm like, I do graphic design. So he's like, make a super cool logo. Try to think of like the, like the most simple, cool name. And then like, we'll like tag team the production, but like, I'll just do the production. And then we'll just try to blow it up and just do cool shit. And then I was like, okay. And then I thought of the name gray because my hair was gray at the time. And then I made a cool logo, like a little G like, like emblem. And then yeah, I like somehow got the SoundCloud URL just at Gray. And then um, we started doing that. And then a little bit into it, I think we only did two remixes. We remixed Beautiful Now by Zed and Where Are You Now by Skrillex. And like his uh, Jackie. Yeah, Jackie thing. Yeah. And then um, our buddy was like, hey, like, do you ever, if you ever have any like crazy songs that you're really proud of, I'm pretty sure I have Skrillex's email. Like, I don't know, I just came across it. And then we had that Jackie remix, so we went and sent it to him. And Kyle sent it to him, actually. And I think the subject was just like, ayy. Yeah. And then he like didn't want to make it seem like we were like self-promoting. So he was like, hey, man, my brother did a remix to your song. <laughs> like, Just check it out. When it was obviously like we both did it together. And then I think I was like back at Olive Garden, working and then on my break i went and checked my phone and my brother's like yo Skrillex just replied like literally 15 minutes later and he's like he asked me to send him everything and i sent him the zed remix and then sent it to zed and zed's manager i'm going to meet zed's manager at interscope tomorrow on saturday yeah and i was like what and he's like yo by the way we're both in gray now it's not just you and i was like of course no matter like for sure he's like and then yeah he went that was like one of the most insane days of my life for sure. Because <laughs> yeah. we're both like really struggling at that point. And to have like two of our absolute musical idols hear these two things that we made <laughs> within like 15, 20 minutes was like really, really cool. And I had a meeting with um, Zed's manager, Dave, the next day. So it was awesome. I mean, there's a lot of times when we've talked about this in a few episodes, but you know, a lot of times people ask like, what can I do to get noticed? 
And you're like, man, you can't do anything but create music that the person on the other side hears. And it's like, I have to know the person who makes this music. Yeah. Not like, it doesn't matter. You know, it's that thing. It doesn't matter who you know. It matters who knows you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, you can't convince anybody to to like your music. You just have to create music that's good enough, you know, that way people listen to it. I can't imagine that you... Like if you just emailed Skrillex and was like, "Hey, you want to write?" He'd be like, yeah. "No." But if you send him a song, he's like, "Holy shit, that's amazing!" Yeah. Yeah. So, Kyle, Kyle always says this thing. He always says like, "Preparation meets opportunity." Hmm. Like just like doing your best to be as good as you can, and then just getting lucky. It's like the only way for stuff to happen. Yeah. Well, tell me about both those meetings. One with Skrillex and one with Zed's manager. How did those go? So the first. Thing. We didn't have a meeting with Scrooge, so it was just an email chain. But um, he met with Zed's manager. Yeah, he was just like, well, I guess the thing I came to learn too, which is crazy, is like he had known, like Sonny had, um, Scrooge had known Zed for what, six, seven years at that point. And Scrooge had never sent Zed any music before. This is the first song that he had ever sent him. And Zed was like in Japan at the time and had bad service. And he was like, I have to figure out a way to play this <laughs> song. So like it, it was more of a big deal to them than I thought originally. Um, but yeah, we went in there or I went in there and talked to Dave and he was like, I want. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I want to like bring you into the team. Essentially, I want to manage you if that if that's cool with you guys. And um, I want you to meet Zed, and he wants to like repost your songs on SoundCloud and release them officially and get more remixes going for some of the other um, songs on True Colors. So, yeah, it was a lot. The, the craziest thing that we found out later on when we actually met Skrillex was that his email that we sent to is like a spam email, essentially. And there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails that go through there a day. And he never checks it. And he checks like once every couple months. And he just clicks like the top one. <laughs> yeah, so we got like really, really lucky too. It's not like he checks all those emails. Do you guys check emails when people send you guys remixes? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I check stuff every once in a while. I mean, I don't check everything, but I check things once in a while for sure. When you guys are doing remixes, and as DJs, you can make a career off of remixes, but that's not really the same thing as creating songs from scratch. Mm. Or, you know really doing what becomes, you know, your first hit, which is Starving with Haley Steinfeld, who, you know, all things considered, and I love Haley, like, it it was just like, it wasn't the easiest time. It's not like she has, she's just like loaded with hits. Mm -hmm. And, you you know, it's not like Jack U or Zed or, you know, some of these other remixes that you had with big artists it really was, you know, to get her voice on it is a is a whole other thing. Tell me about writing that song and and the process of going from remixing songs to creating something from scratch. So, first of all, we were in we weren't in the writing session for that song. Um, our friend Asia um, 
we, we basically got sent like a group of, of songs from this girl named Asia Whitaker. And um, we had listened through all those and we, we weren't actually in the same room we at the Hawaii. time. We were in Hawaii and we weren't like together, but we both were listening to them at the same time and both were like starving. Yeah. That's the one. I was like, it was so no obvious. All it was was just the guitar and the, and the vocals. We we're like, this is it for sure. So for us, honestly, with that process, it really was like doing a remix. It, it felt so similar to doing a remix to us, it, except our goal wasn't to make like the craziest sound design thing ever like it had been before. It was more so like, how do we make this palatable? And relatable. I'm telling you that because that's a big difference. I mean, I think a lot of times producers, when they're first starting, are trying to show everyone what they can do versus well, making it about the song. It's so much about like how much we respect like Zed's um, opinion, his like, like his way about doing things. Like we really just emulated that. I think with that stuff because yeah, like. We just we just could like really tell that that song was so strong on its own. Like it was literally an insanely good song, just guitar and vocals. So we're like, okay, how do we not ruin this? Like, yeah, we at least add something and not take away from how good the song is. Yeah, for sure. When you have that kind of hit, there's a different conversation that happens about you know uh, an original song that really works, especially with your name in the title. You know, it's a different thing. Everything that you had done before was really still piggybacking off of other people. And this one really ends up being like your first introduction to the world. How did that change your fan base? Um, It didn't really change our fan base at all. Because <laughs> essentially we're still piggybacking off of bigger people, you know. Like, if you really think about it, like we're still piggybacking off of Haley's name and Zed's name because he's on the song as well. So it just kind of... It, I don't know, like just to be blunt, it doesn't really like help our fan base at all at that point, I think. Yeah. You know what? This, if we're going to be like upfront about this, this is something we've talked about a lot. And if we could go back to this time, I don't think we would have done these songs um, as early as we did. Because I think there's something about building your career from the ground up and building fans that would come out to shows and all that. And we didn't ever have a moment to do that. We went straight from like just being budding artists to having our names on like some of the biggest songs of those years. And it inflated a lot of numbers for us, like our Spotify monthly listeners and all these kinds of things. But there wasn't like a real, the, the ground level support that we should have been building at the time. So although like it was a, I'm really proud of these songs and everything. If I could go back, I probably would have waited to dive into that world. I think. Maybe you can't really make that happen. I know you can't go back in time, but (laughs) (laughs) even if you, not even if you go back in time, but for a new artist, you don't want to, you would never advise a new artist to turn those opportunities down. No, I know. That's the crazy part. You couldn't have convinced me to not do them. But I think uh, it's created a lot of challenges for us that we're like still working through. Because we had to kind of just go back and go, let's take care of all the stuff that we didn't do in the first place. Because we just had these lucky breaks, you know. I mean, you could you could go back in time and take advantage of, like try to take advantage of the situation a little bit better and like work it towards creating your core fan base a little more instead of just like going with emotions, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. I know people probably don't say stuff like this on your show, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being honest. No, you'd be surprised, man. I, I think everyone looks at their own career in, in through it. I wish that we all understood when we're looking at our own careers, we all think we would have done something different. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know any, I, I know very few people where it just worked out from the outset. And some, but usually those are the weird prodigies where they, they had their hits so early on that, um, and they just never really had it down. But even, even those people, you know, yeah, 
eventually they have ups and downs and, and, you know, you're in the middle of your career. If we have this same interview in 20 years, it's going to yeah. mean something totally different. Maybe I'll feel totally differently. I think part of what I'm saying though, is not enough people in the world understand what a producer does. What does a producer do? And I don't know. I I've been at shows before. Like I've been at, festivals and a lot of people in the crowd think the DJ is making the song on stage. (laughs) Like literally people think that. So people don't understand how production works. They don't know how, like if you were to look at a band, there's the singer, the guitar player, the, all these different people. And they don't understand that a producer does all the other things that the singer isn't doing. Right. That's a really big deal. And so I think that's part of the issue here is that, the person who gets all the credit generally is the person on stage and the person singing. And I get why that is. I totally understand why like people sing in the shower. No one produces in the shower. Like everyone can sing. Right. But I I can imagine a world in the future where people understand what producing is more. And I think that will be a good thing. I think when people's first instruments tends to be computers now. Yeah. That often their first instrument really is trying to put different, you know, essentially to produce rather than to actually sit down and practice scales on a guitar. Mm-hmm. So I think that you're right that people will talk about production differently. Um, but it's the same thing, you know, as a as a guy who mostly writes melody and lyrics. I mean, obviously I play piano and have guitar and some other instruments and I produce out a lot of things too. A lot of times I'm looking at a DJ, I'm like, that guy puts the same drums on everything. Yeah. You know, and he's putting the same, the same synth on everything. And then he gets, he calls himself a songwriter. What's the difference? Am I wrong? No, I, I think there can be good writers, bad writers. There could be good producers and bad producers, but I guess what I'm trying to say is typically if a singer does really well on a song, everyone, no matter who you are, could go, wow, she killed it, man. She did so well. But if the production and the mixing in a song is insane, there's not many people that be like, wow, this production really carries this track. No one says that because they don't know. They just right. kind of like it more and they don't know why. So I just, I'm ready for a world where people are more educated on all the different pieces, you know? Yeah, amen to that. What can you explain? I don't know anything about the remix industry. I never listen to remixes, but all the labels have, you know, every hit has a, you know, has a multiple remixes, you know, as an A&R person, I'm constantly trying to get remixes for my artists cuz you never know what could happen. What is the remix industry? You end up having so many remixes with so many big artists. And for those who don't understand how it works, explain it like, I don't know what a producer is and I don't know what a DJ is. What is a remixer? And why is that, you know, that that seems like a big part of the industry that's very unclear. Well, if you think about music in terms of genres, and which I don't like thinking about genres, but... Many people can, you know, think of music in terms of genres and some people only listen to one genre. So some people are like, I only like house or I only like dubstep or I only like country or I only like pop, whatever. Right. So essentially what a remixer can do is take something that's in one lane and move it to another lane so that those people who only listen to house will like it. Right. So I guess that's the simplest way to say it. How would you describe your remixes as a whole? Do you tend is house your genre that you would tend to no. remix? No, it's not. Never. No, not really genre genre specific. But I think a difference between ours and a lot of people's is a lot of people tend to like use a lot of stems or a lot of like elements from the original song and then just kind of like remix that essentially and just kind of make it sound a little different with different rhythms or pace, but we almost always just take the vocal and just put a fully new chord progression and just fully produce out the song. 
That's yeah. That's why I said the process with Starving was remarkably similar to a remix for us. Is because we create an entirely new song from the ground up when we do a remix. It's there's different chords, there's different everything. So yeah. Of all the things that you've had, you know, there's going to there's clearly the biggest song, which is the biggest song that I think a lot of people would have in an entire career. And you guys are obviously, again, just sort of starting. But the middle is so big. And it has, a, you know, there's a lot of interesting information about how the song was done. There was a whole New York Times thing about it. We all remember hearing it kind of, I want to say it was maybe in like the Super Bowl, where it was like a commercial for Target and it's just man, that sounds a one listen just smash. Yeah. <laughs> uh and you can't you know, again, like this it's really hard. It's really hard to create an environment for a song to be that big and for it to work that well. And and the song was a hit. There aren't a lot of first listen hits. There just aren't. Mm. Um and that's just one that I don't, you know. I kind of want to hear the story from your perspective. I know about the the wood shop because <laughs> the guys talked about it a lot, and it's like it's kind of famous. The wood, that sound of that snare. There's a wood shop in it. Um, <laughs> explain just, but explain the whole story of the song. How the song happened from your perspective. Um, trying to think. Like, should we start from like when we? Couldn't even. Yeah, sure. So like, we had the song for like a year before we didn't have the song, but we like had a version of the song for like a year before it even came out. And I just remember like wanting to. I think we wanted to produce it out, right? Like we didn't have it yet or something. But like, yeah. So we we got sent the demo from Sarah Aaron's and Monsters and Strangers, and. Um, we made a version of it and we were really into it, but for political reasons, I think we weren't able to put it out and, um, it, we were like really bummed out about that and we ended up showing it to Anton and he was like, here, let me take the song and kind of massage it a bit. And then we sent it again back to everyone who needed to approve it. And they were like, this is, this is so great. So then we were like, wow, we're actually going to get the song. And that just started this whole process of trying to find the right vocalist, which took forever, as everyone knows. Um, there were so many times when like, we thought the song would have this singer and it was about to come out. And it was like, oh, they jumped off for this reason. And at the very end there, we didn't have a singer and we were like one week away from filming the video for the Super Bowl commercial. And he, Anton flew out to, uh, to Nashville. Nashville to record Marin and save the day. Yeah. Can you say who the other singers were? Um, yeah, it was Camilla Cabello, Anne-Marie. Um, there were so many. It was like B.B. Rick's... Uh, Amazing how many of them probably wish that they could have stayed on it now that they saw how big it was, right? Yeah, I do wonder, like, especially, I mean, the two that were, like, we were going with was Camilla and, um, and Anne-Marie. And I understand Camilla's, uh, was it not Havana? Was it yeah, Hav- Havana was blowing up? Yeah, Havana was, like, so she was, like, she didn't want to ruin that. But, yeah. What was the Anne-Marie thing? Uh, you know? She was on Friends with Marshmallow. And, oh, uh, yeah, so people just didn't want to, like, kind of tank whatever. Because I guess that radio, what, you only get, like, one spot? I don't know how it works. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> it's rare. <laughs> now I would think Camilla could probably do a feature at the same time as having her own. But at the time, that was really sort of a breakout moment. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but that is really interesting. It's like, you, again, you can't really put those things together because you would never, if 
in the beginning, you said, here's Marin, who's a wonderful person, great voice, but is a totally different, is such a departure. That yep. if, when you heard that first demo, when it was back when there were political reasons for you to not be able to release it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's a, you just, if somebody said you would have this Marin song, you, you might not jump at that as being like, yes, that's the void. That's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Michael and I, to be honest, aren't like the biggest country music fans. So if someone were to just tell me like, oh, a country singer is going to be on it, then I don't know that we would have been like super excited. But her voice is like insane. It's so insane. As artists, do you guys have, you know, what, what is success? What is success for Gray? Um, I mean, I've told you like at the beginning of this interview, all the horrible touring situations I've been in. And for me, I've never had a successful kind of touring career. So if we ended up in a spot where, yeah, we were getting like a bunch of shows all the time. I think that would be great for me. That would be like success. Yeah. What is your... You know, I I know you guys because we've written together and we've spent time together. I don't really know what you're... I've never seen you guys perform. Mm. You know? Um, I So I'm not... You know, explain what your shows are like. I don't know if you're talking about, you know, when you guys play, are you guys playing for 100 people, 1,000 people, 100,000 people, a million people? I mean, I don't even know. Like, if you guys were on tour right now, what kind of places would you be playing? Yeah, so that's kind of part, like part of what I'm saying. Where we, I, I think our, our shows kind of followed the same trajectory as, um, you know, the big songs in the sense that we were playing to like stadiums, but it was because we were on tour with Zed, kind of thing. Right. So I think that goes along with what I was saying before, where. I think we would have been better off doing it from the ground up and just playing for 20 people and then playing for 50 people instead of like our first shows we're playing for like 10,000 people, you know? (laughs) Well, a lot of, a lot of artists that I've met along the way, they get opportunities to open for, you know, the opening, they open for the opening act of Maroon 5 or go down the list of, huge, huge artists that have, you know, a s- bunch of people opening for them. It w- it's different in the DJ world because I do feel like people come a little, like they, they see the whole show. Mm-hmm. I know that more people come later, but that's different than in a, in a band setting, people actually don't even show up often for the first artist. Yeah. You know? But I feel like with DJs, there might be a, a win in, in opening for... Anton, if you get to, you know, Anton being Zed for those who don't know, but, but if you're, you know, if you have an opportunity to open for Zed, that that would be, a, um, that, that, that would help a little or would it, not, or does it not work that way? I guess we will see. I don't know. We're still in the middle of our journey and, uh, we're, like I said, currently trying to see what happens if we just focus on doing everything from the ground up right now. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Having um, having seen the success of you know your songwriting, your production for other people is so massive. Mm. Um, it's weird when that's somebody. Uh, it's often like somebody else's ambition. Mm-hmm. I mean, like in the songwriting industry, so many people wish they were in those shoes. But it, I do. It almost sounds like you're like you were you were wearing somebody else's shoes, you know, like that. That you don't look at the success of of starving in middle as like, you know, if if you were a production duo, mm-hmm. you got to be on on cloud nine with those kinds of successes. But by being DJs, yeah. you don't think of it like that. Am I right? Well, especially in, like, yeah, we don't consider ourselves DJs either. We 
this whole time we've just wanted to be artists ourselves and we kind of didn't understand that the world, like I said before, it doesn't understand what producers do. So producers aren't really seen as artists generally. And we didn't realize that. And it took us many years to be like, Oh, you have to sing to be an artist basically. So if that's what it takes, then we're just going to learn how to sing. And that's what we've done. How do you like singing on records? Is it vulnerable? It's like so much more fun than anything, I think. It's so hard, but it's so fun. Yeah. Does it put you in a place, you know, and by the way, when I'm saying DJ stuff, I guess my assumption too is that because even though I never wrote with you for you guys as a DJ, I, my assumption was just because of the relationship with Zed and the fact that you would tour with him, that that meant you guys were DJs. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, we never answered your question. Um, when we played live with Zed, I was playing guitar, Michael was playing drums um, and, yeah. and keyboard as well. And now that we're singing, when we go to play shows now, we're, it's going to be that plus us singing so it's it's straight up just a two-person band like um 21 pilots kind of thing you know yeah i mean that's amazing that you guys have a skill set that you can do that yeah do you guys want to release music you know is the goal to make the artist thing into a radio thing or is the goal to make the thing into a touring thing um or are those the same? I think it's almost the same, but I don't think we're like specifically trying to do one or the other. I think we're just trying to make like good songs that, and like trying to make the quality of our vocals good enough to be on the radio or be listened to live. No, just yeah, we're we're just thinking, you know, Spotify and Apple Music up, kind of. So <laughs> just right. starting with streaming and then shows will come out of that. And uh, I'm not even thinking radio or anything like that. Yeah, the streaming thing is is a different ambition too because, you know, the like you were saying, the fact that you guys have your name on connected to so many different artists, my assumption is your monthly listenership is is pretty extensive. It's, you know, just because of people connecting dots. yeah. Yeah, like that's that amazing avenue that didn't exist four years ago. Yeah, that's no, great. Um, okay, so let's go to the final section. We're going to do a five for five. I'm going to list five things that I'm curious, you know, first things that come off the top of your heads. All right, first one, Zed. He's an incredible mentor to us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an insane respect for him. I've never met him, but you know, his success is pretty pretty insane. Um yeah. Skrillex. Just so full of energy and life. Yeah. I just loved his his whole take on music and how he just kind of runs with the mistakes and it's kinda like a lot of what we do too. We just just like go with the vibe and just like make mistakes and the mistakes are the best parts of whatever you're making. Also, I've never heard anyone, anyone listen to music louder than him. <laughs> it is insanity. It, it is like to the point where you're like, I don't know if I could be in this room because it's that loud. <laughs> it just wrecks your fucking bones, bro. It's crazy. Do you put <laughs> in your plugs? What'd you say? Do you oh. put in Earplugs? Yeah. I yeah, I had to put, put in. Some, I had uh, to put in earplugs. It was paper towels. Yeah, insane. I I can't handle being in studios like that. <laughs> I listen to music so quietly when I'm recording. We, <laughs> we like it loud. We thought we liked it loud until we met him. Dude, I went on a cruise ship, like a rave cruise ship or something, like before any of this stuff started happening. Like just the only reason that we knew him is just from that first email. We haven't done anything else since then. And like, he just like saw me in the crowd and I was like, just like a fan just at the rave cruise ship. And he like pulled me on stage. And he's like, here, come back to the artist area. And then took off his VIP artist, like 
like pass thing that was like had his name on it, like his around his neck, and he just gave it to me. He's like, here, you can keep this for the rest of the cruise, like the whole cruise, just like don't yeah. hang out whenever. He's so cool. Like I was like, dude, that's crazy. Mm. Yeah, I worked with him once. That guy's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's, uh, it's pretty effortless. Mm. All right, next one, Ableton Live. Isn't that what you produce off of? Yeah. So let's go to Ableton. It's just so intuitive. I It's funny, like, I've probably used five different DAWs in my life, and every time you change, somehow get better, you know? I, I don't know. At least for me, maybe I just picked the right kind of steps. But, like, when I moved from Logic to Ableton, my music just got infinitely better, and I was like, this is my home. So... I love it. Okay, the final two are kind of obvious, but each other. <laughs> um, he's the uh, he's the um, what's it called uh, responsible one. <laughs> no, I think I think he's way more like in the gritty, very very like um, specific like working on very micro parts of songs in his head, I think. And I'm very much more like seeing it as a whole, like kind of a lot more visual. And I kind of think of things and like vibes or I think of it, I kind of like see where the song is. If there was a music video, I just pretend like I'm like, if I was going to see a music video for the song, where would it be in the world? And like, what would be the sounds? And I kind of like think of like, I don't know, like an ambience and just like different things, but yeah, I don't know. We definitely approach life and music differently, <laughs> but it balances out well. Wait, why do you why do you say that? If it, if the last one is you know you for your brother, um, let's see. I don't know. I I think Michael's very much like a go with the flow kind of person, which is, which makes him get along with people really well. Cause he, he wants everything to be like chill. And I'm very much like a devil's advocate kind of person. Like I will at any point try to make anything into an argument, not like a heated argument, but like a formal, like I let's get to the bottom of this. Cause that's, what's exciting for me. And it's very like off putting to most people I meet. <laughs> They don't like it. It's not about him, him like trying to prove that his point is right or their point is wrong. Like whatever someone, whatever point someone's trying to make, even if he agrees with it or doesn't agree with it, he just wants to do the opposite of that, just to like see how like yeah. how the conversation will go. Like it's not like he's trying to prove anything. He's just yeah. like, okay, well, like if you think that, I think the opposite, and if you think this, I still think the opposite. <laughs> do you naturally think the opposite, or do you? No, naturally- no, I, I just. I just like put myself into the shoes of someone who would feel the opposite of, of them because it's just more exciting to like have a disagreement and then debate over it. And then at the end, maybe you learn something. And I don't know. I, that's, that's how I am. And it's so if I, were to, if I were to say right now, like, I think Ableton's the best. Do you naturally go, well, there's also... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd be like, no, there's no comping in Ableton. Vocal cuts. Come on. Like... I'll just like put myself in the, in the other person's shoes, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you comp vocals in Ableton? No, we actually have to. Okay, so this is cool. This is very current, actually. So we use Pro Tools um, to do all of our vocal stuff. But as of today, Ableton just added vocal comping. So maybe well, no more Pro Tools. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things that Pro Tools does super well. Well, have it you, might be in Ableton now. Have you already tried? What'd you say? Have you already tried comping? Uh, sorry, they released the video announcing it today and it comes out in January. But yeah. It's kind of exciting. Yeah, it is. It's weird how much those things in the in the songwriting creating world, like those things really are genuinely exciting. Yeah. <laughs> like it gets exciting. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, guys, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, I, I'm glad I've had an opportunity to be in a studio with you guys. And it's, I don't, it's so, it's what you guys are saying. I don't think of you guys as remixers or DJs as like what in the room because you guys collaborate in the room. You guys are musicians who are, mm. you know, 
you had tracks to start from that were really cool, and but you were able to manipulate tracks to make them appropriate for the actual song. So you guys are songwriters and you guys are producers, you got, which makes you guys artists. And it and the songs, the song that we did together, d- didn't even sound like, you know, couldn't it, it was in six eight. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean, like. Like it's so important that like I I'm glad that we had a, a discussion where it really talks about you guys not being the same as the those those kind of like what what you think of as as you know DJs because it's really not what you guys are and it isn't what you guys have been in in sessions with me and I I, I not to belittle that because that's cool too but I like I like the fact that you guys are pursuing music yeah you know, like you guys you guys are doing it the right way and and i'm excited to you know to watch this journey I'm i'm happy you guys are releasing you know i know you guys have been working a ton on music and been releasing a lot more music as as artists and i, I love that you guys are pursuing that i think it's great so thank oh, yeah. you Thank you. Man. Thank you. Yeah, we actually just put out an EP and we have another EP coming out really soon. So look out for that. Keep keep doing it, man. Really appreciate you guys. Thank you, man. Thank you. I'll see you at Air One. Yeah. <laughs> see you there. Peace, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.